Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan. Welcome to the next episode of Beyond the Sermon. This is a way for us to go beyond the weekend message through conversations, questions and answers, deep dives into topics, interviews, and practical ways to engage throughout the week. The hope is that through this series, you will be encouraged, challenged, and more equipped to be a disciple of Jesus. Recently, Faith Chapel was able to host a global Foursquare event, which meant pastors and leaders from around the country and some from around the world were able to come to Billings to worship, pray, and find encouragement. While here, I got to visit with Gary Matstorf, a friend and leader in the Foursquare movement. Gary has been an incredible voice in my life, and I'm so grateful for his wisdom, leadership, and investment in me and other leaders. We got to discuss many different topics in our conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Gary. Well, for the listener, I am sitting down with uh, Gary Matstorf right now, who has been such a dear friend over the years and uh, also was someone who I got to learn from for several years, was a pastor here for, we just discovered, 11 years. Correct. And you have now been gone from Faith Chapel for 11 years, and uh, I'm just so grateful that you'd spend the time to talk with me in this in this manner. Um so thanks for being here. But Gary, as we jump in, would you tell us a little bit about what your role is in Foursquare and what you get to do right now? Yes. Well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity, Jordan. You know, I greatly appreciate you. And I'll, to your audience, let me just brag a little bit about you. <laughs> Great. Really grateful for what the Lord's done in your life and how he's using you. Thank you. So um, you mentioned Foursquare. I assume that Many of the listeners are aware that Faith Chapel is a denominational church, mm-hmm. formally, a part of the Foursquare denomination. And the Foursquare denomination internationally has a body of 16 elders um, who give spiritual direction and advice to our family globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're called the Global Council. And I am the Global Education Coordinator for that Global Council. Okay. So I work at the international level at the direction of those 16 Global Elders. Awesome. That's what I do in Foursquare. And so what is that? What is a typical, maybe a week is too small of a window? What was a typical month look like for you? Well, there was definitely pre-COVID world sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because my uh, ministry is so international. Right. But in, in a nutshell, um, I started this position in 2016 with an assignment to work with a global team of about 250 people on a regular basis to collaboratively learn from one another and help each other get better in a few areas where our denomination is trying to grow globally. And so a typical uh, year, month, week, is built around about 17 or 18 international trips where I meet with various pockets of those 250 people. And we are writing curriculum for training leaders and discipling people. And we're learning how to get better in the areas that the Global Council feels and has data to prove we just need to grow as a denomination. So I write, I travel, 
I uh, dialogue. Yeah. Uh, right now, I know as more Zoom than I ever want to sure. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I do. That's awesome. So, from a from an international perspective, what's happening around the world? What's happening in the Foursquare denomination? that you're excited about, that, that yeah. you just look forward to with, with what you're getting to do? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting because one of the th- concerns that the Global Council had seems to be something that the Holy Spirit is um, emphasizing globally, and that is strategically making disciples, Jordan. Um, Foursquare globally has been really good at getting people to come to the Lord, to cross the line of faith, get born again, however one wants to define that. And they obviously believe in discipleship, but we haven't been as strategic in what does it take Mm -hmm. to disciple someone. Jordan comes to the Lord even as a, a teenager, let's say. How can we help strategically get him on a pathway to discipleship rather than just throwing out like, oh, you need to learn to read your Bible or go to church or serve or whatever. And so globally, I see Foursquare embracing this need. Mm -hmm. And now with what I'm doing, we have about 120 nations that are actively and strategically working together to learn how to get better at doing that. Wow. So I don't go and tell anybody what to do. Mm -hmm. I go and ask them questions and help develop it at a collaborative level. Wow. That's that's fun. Yes. Very fun. What have you discovered are some of those pathways, some of the things that you're starting to collaborate on, implement, and try and get... Get yeah. moving. So <laughs> I'm probably going to say something that a lot of pastors would just strangle me for saying, sure. but that's okay. Uh, COVID has been our friend. Interesting. Let me tell you why. Yeah, please. Um, what we have discovered as we have been working now for about five years on this whole matter of getting better at discipleship. We've learned, Jordan, that there is an interconnection between disciple-making and your view of the church, or what we typically call, or formally call ecclesiology. Okay. And what, I, what we have learned is the very best of Sunday services, I, I, I don't care how good they are, how big they are, how small they are will not sufficiently disciple people. Mm-hmm. There has to be something in addition to that. Okay. However you're going to, whatever that ends up looking like. Sure. So some go with small groups, some go one-on-one, yep. whatever. But what COVID has done is it has forced us to not rely so much on Sunday morning mm. gathering yeah, yeah. to get everything done yep. towards discipling people. Sure. Does, does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And so now what I'm finding is that because leaders were forced 
to do something different. Yep. And in most cases, it was an online presence mm-hmm. of some sort. They're now open more to, do they really want to go back to the way things were? Mm-hmm. Or do they want to take advantage now as we move forward to perhaps not put all of our eggs in the basket of a weekend service to disciple people? Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. And, you know, um, who would have ever thought that that could be an outgrowth of COVID? Yeah. That initially we thought, oh my gosh, this is just like... Right. Going to kill us. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, it's been interesting to see, and obviously there's there's so many, and I don't want to negate the, the negatives of what has happened with oh, a global, absolutely. Right, global yeah. pandemic, yet even in, you know, I, I was just listening to some people talk and their rhythm of life changed and they were able to slow down and they're like, man, that was, that was a gift because it put a pause on some things that we needed to take care of. And so yeah. you see even in personal stories that, there are benefits that have come, even yeah. in the midst of the chaos, that there's something redemptive about it. And so it's interesting to see that happening even glo- as you're sharing yeah. globally, that it's, oh, it's forced some reevaluation. Of exactly. Some, some and it's a good rate. And, you know, you, you would know from the book of Acts that early in the book of Acts, the persecution of the Jerusalem church was a key to the spread of the gospel. Right. God actually used the persecution as a means to get it uh, out there to the circles that Jesus talked about. And in some regards, COVID would be like on that persecution continuum Mm -hmm. in terms of upheaval in our lives Mm -hmm. to cause us to have to reevaluate everything from the personal level to the corporate level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that vein, can you talk about... um, as far as like what's happening around the world. One of the questions that's come up in some conversations I've had with, with uh, some other pastors is as we look at the global church, as we look at what's happening around the world and even our perspective, and you even talked about it, you, you hinted at it a little bit that you're not traveling, telling other people what to do, but often in a Western culture, we can step into situations and feel like we've got answers Mm-hmm. Um, when sometimes we don't even know what the question is, <laughs> yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this this globalization happening where you've got information traveling really fast. You've got people adopting sometimes Western standards and, and we're way more connected than ever. So from your perspective, how can we bring the good news? How can we be globally minded and move into other areas. And sometimes that even means in stepping into other cultures that are closer to us. They may not be around the world. They might be just a neighbor who's got yes. a different culture, right? Mm-hmm. How do we do that without completely pushing our agenda or pushing our perspective? And even as you're training, as you're going, how how do you navigate bringing something good? You know you've got something good to bring, yet the manner in which you do it also has to be sensitive. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I I, I understand that. Um, and, you know, just let me start by saying you and I would not be naive, and I'm guessing no one in the listening audience would be naive to the downside of colonialism uh, when it comes to the church, mm-hmm. you know, and whiteness, quote unquote, and, you know, to, and even terminology like 
we're going to save the heathen, mm-hmm. which is which was an indication of their culture as much as their moral values. Right. And so we're going to westernize them, right. you know. And so thankfully, uh, I think we live in a day and age where few and far between is that thinking, but we're trying as Western people how to work our way out of that mm. because it's, it can easily become a natural default, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So the, for, what I've learned is a couple of things. First of all, there are, there are a lot of biblical truths that are acultural. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Trinity, the Bible is God's Word. Those are acultural. But globalization forces you into realizing how much of biblical truth has cultural spins mm-hmm. and emphases. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to be savvy to that, Jordan. You want to be aware of that. So I learned to use language like, as an American, mm. here's what Jesus Christ Savior means to me, or Jesus Christ as, um, you know, dying on the cross means for me in a Western culture that's very heavy on the legal penal side, and so he paid for my sins and that kind of a thing. Right. But... What is it for you as an African? Or mm. what is it for you in a shame-based culture? Mm. And so Jesus Christ Savior, for example, in a shame-based culture is he saves you from shame mm. more than he just saves you from legal right. penalties yeah. like we uh, emphasize in the U.S. Yeah. And so I will talk language of a perspective, not the perspective. And then let me just give you a really quick example. So two years ago, I was teaching in um, East Africa, and there was a room full of about 15 uh, high-level leaders of Foursquare in that room. And we were going through uh, a study on law and grace, the same study that you went through when you went to the Institute here several Mm -hmm. years ago. And so we were talking about legalism Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said to me, sit down and ask Bishop Kamanzi to come up here because you, this group has to talk about legalism in Eastern African culture, mm-hmm. not American right. culture. Yeah. So now imagine this. They have tremendous respect for me because of my position, uh, my age, <clears throat> and the fact that I come from America. Mm-hmm. So I said, Bishop Kamanzi, we're friends. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to sit down, and you're going to come up here, mm-hmm. and you're going to teach this section. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, really, Pastor Gary? I said, yes, because I said, Bishop, you can do this better than I can mm-hmm. because it requires contextualization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did a phenomenal job. I couldn't have done it, Yeah, Jordan, 
because so much of that, those truths had to be massaged through their lens. Yeah. And so I think globalization has the potential of teaching you how to respect and honor other cultures if you'll think in those kinds of terms. Right. And to realize that, well, as a Westerner, yeah, I've got a perspective. I've got a good perspective. But it might be more Western than I realize. Yeah. So right along those lines, what what challenges – and I, I love that that idea that we we can learn about God's God's grace from a from a totally different perspective that somebody else brings, just based on their cultural understanding of seeing Jesus as a savior in a, a different facet. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not wrong. It's not. It's not even that. It's not true for me. It's maybe more emphasized. Exactly. And exactly. so, what are some areas that you would maybe even challenge the Western Church? Like, what what do you see as maybe a pattern? that we're blind to because of culture, where it's like, hey, we're missing out on this facet of the character of Jesus or how the Holy Spirit is moving or what's going on around the world. And I mean, this is maybe a silly analogy, but it's it's the entire world is obsessed with soccer and here's America and and we've got our own thing going on and and just not as big. And so sometimes we we just kind of do things our own way and miss out on these movements that are happening and everybody else is, is on, in some ways attuned to it or involved. So as you travel, as you teach, as you have opportunities like that to see other perspectives, how would you challenge both Faith Chapel, but even the, the Western church at large? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind, and it can seem kind of cliche-ish, but I've really found it true, and that is that a lar- large pockets of the world, Europe, Western Europe particularly, is a lot like the U.S. So we in Western Europe, or we in Australia, New Zealand, we're we're kind of of similar thinking. Sure. But large other sections of the world. They have more of a desperate need for Jesus mm-hmm. than we do. Mm. Um, do we need Jesus? Absolutely. Do we say he's the center of our life? Absolutely. But we don't have quite so many things that push us on a day-to-day basis to desperately hang on to him. Mm-hmm. Like, boy, he'd better protect me today or I could be shot. Yeah you know, just walking out of my house, or I'm not going to get to a clinic in time to get medication, and Mm -hmm. I've got to be desperate for him to heal me. So Mm -hmm. that sense of their needs within their cultures that drive a higher level of desperation, I think, make them more committed to actually realizing their need Mm -hmm. for him. The other thing that I've noticed is that in a lar- large portions of the world, he he really is their center, not their add-on. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, w- we have to be really careful in America, even as well. What word should I use, Jordan? Let's hang on. Even as conservative evangelicals, I. No, those are not my favorite terms, right. but they are yet defining terms. Sure. 
even as conservative evangelicals, we can sometimes get religious in our focus more than relationship with Jesus mm. in our focus. Yeah. And um, religion exists all around the world, but I, I've learned a lot from the Africans and I've learned a lot from the Southern Asians in terms of, of non-religious center of Jesus Christ. Yeah. If I can just say one thing, I'm really proud of our denomination because our former president had a saying, um, we want to go from parenting to partnering. Mm -hmm. And what he meant by that is because Foursquare, as your listening audience may or may not know, started in the U.S., started in California, mm -hmm. all of the hundred and some odd, excuse me, the majority of the hundred and some odd nations in which Foursquare now has a presence were planted out of the United States. So we're like mom, mm -hmm. as it were. Yeah. Okay. And we went out in many regards in typical colonialism fashion, mm -hmm. right, wrong, or indifferent. That's what we did. But now that we're nearly a hundred years old, Glenn, Dr. Burris, had a vision that we would go from parenting to partnering, realizing, no, the U.S., Foursquare U.S. is no longer the center of the Foursquare world. Mm -hmm. It is one of the 150 nations, mm -hmm. and we want to learn how to partner together and learn from one another. Right. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. But it's hard, mm -hmm. particularly when you consider centuries of thinking that would have driven our early movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to, to shift and to adjust and to collaborate. Like, it takes a massive amount of humility in any context to, to defer. Exactly. And to invite other voices especially. And for me, that's a big part of my personal growth is figuring out how can I accept things that are different. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I tend to be gray areas are not very common in my mind. There's right and there's wrong. And so if people have other ideas, I'm often like, well, no, that's right. <laughs> That's wrong, but it's it's not wrong. It's it's potentially different, and that strategy or that thinking needs to be yeah. oftentimes adopted. It's huge. I've got a good friend in Nigeria, Dr. Orgu, and he wrote a book called Jesus Christ in an African Culture, and he gave it to me. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Was it eye-opening? Mm. And so I will talk to Dr. Orgu, and I'll say, Dr. Orgu, talk to me. Help me understand this doctrine. Help me understand, um, you know, this perspective of Jesus Christ. He's taking some of the stuff I've written and pointing out how I can tweak it to include African thinking. Mm, that's cool. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's fun. I love that. Yeah. As you've been invited and been a part of these things and even like with Dr. Orgu, what are some of those key things that he's giving that he went, oh, that's that's really helpful in shifting my thinking around? I, I mean, I don't have a specific topic. Yes. But yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, one of the things, um, and you and I would know that even within our denomination, which we are technically Pentecostals, and again, a word that can... Right. Can, have can carry some... Yeah, yeah, can carry baggage. Yeah. But technically, that's what we're out of. And so within that, we have this understanding of what we call the fullness of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It would be slightly different than 
some other historic Christian denominations. But I have learned from the South Americans and the South Africans uh, and the Africans uh, an entirely different spin on what it means to be, mm. quote unquote, a spirit-filled person, mm. to have that a doctrine that actually is functioning in your life as opposed to just um, something you have an allegiance to intellectually sure. or believe in, yeah. you know? Um, so they've they've helped me with that. They've helped me learn how to pray for the sick mm. in a different capacity. Yeah. And quite frankly, how to have faith. Uh, as, and, you know, I think, wow, I've been at this like 45 years. That's kind of like, oh, you're just learning about how to have faith. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, I got to start sometime. Um, I'm learning how to have faith at a new dimension. Cool. And, you know, they will often, you, you would know me well enough to know I'm a natural worrier. It's one of my spiritual gifts. <laughs> and, and, and I have an amazing ability to think the worst, yeah. okay? And so sometimes I'll get into situations and and that fear moment will kick in and they'll just say to me, wait a second, it's trust Jesus time. Yeah. And uh, they'll pray for me and they'll say, no, we, we don't want to live that way. Yeah. And I've learned more from that outside the U.S. than I've learned about that in the U.S. That's cool. That's neat. I want to circle back around sure. to um, the global church, and you you gave a challenge to the Western church um, on some level, and then what would you say to encourage the Western church, the American church? What you see, what's what's going well that you yeah. th- that you can point to and say, man, I'm just so proud of. And you even shared a little bit about the denomination and something mm-hmm. you're proud of there. But as you see the movement of what's happening um, here, here around here. Yeah. What should we pour some, to use this metaphor, what should we pour some fuel on the fire? Right. Well, I am, again, my focus is our denomination because that's where I work. Uh, as far as the Western church or the U.S. church, let's sure. talk about the U.S. church. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt about it. We're blessed in terms of resources, financial resources, um, personnel resources, uh, um, academic resources. And I am so proud of the U.S. church's generosity Mm. with those things. Because now as we're learning to kind of give those things away without any strings attached, um, because you you, you can be generous with strings attached, or you can be generous without strings attached. And I'm watching our movement be generous with resources, with personnel, um, without strings attached. And with a say, okay, so we're going to give you this out of our abundance, and we're going to trust that you're going to use it well, and we're going to collaboratively figure things out from there. I'm proud of the American church for doing that. That's cool. Foursquare US. And um, I'm also proud of the fact that our highest level leaders in our denomination really get this non-colonialism and this collaboration 
aspect of it. Yeah. They're, they get it. Good. And I'm grateful for the fact that they do get it. Right. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good to hear. So one of my favorite things with you, Gary, that I've learned and, and we've talked about is this concept that you'll hear sometimes in sermons or sometimes in maybe church circles as a way to phrase it, but this this idea of the kingdom of God. And depending on your understanding of what a king and a kingdom looks like, you know, you might think of Disney, you might think of whatever story or... Yeah. There's there's so many different or Queen Elizabeth, the royals of of the UK, yeah, a monarchy like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you'll hear these these concepts around the the kingdom of God, and then one of the things that that I remember learning and studying with you was this concept of the already but not yet when it Mm -hmm. comes to the kingdom of God, where Jesus talks about this: the kingdom of God is coming, the kingdom of God is here. And so you've got both messages of what's coming and what is already established. And then there's, I'm going to throw this on there just as this massive, maybe a grenade <laughs> in the midst why of the, not? why not? In the midst of the conversation is, you know, one of the swirling questions in, in society and in our modern world in question is why does suffering exist if the kingdom of God is here? How can God allow dot, dot, dot you fill right. in the blank. Mm-hmm. And so, as we try and understand and live in this kingdom of God, can you help us understand what is it? What does it mean? I mean, <laughs> in, right. which is a, is a massive concept to to try sure. and completely, you know, <laughs> synthesize into a few moments. But but help us understand what are we talking about there? Right. Well, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, so. For those that like to know this kind of thing, the t- theologically, the topic of the kingdom of God has been hotly debated for centuries, and particularly in the last 150 years, very debated with lots of different opinions. It's interesting to me that it's you, you cannot argue the fact that it was Jesus' number one topic, mm-hmm. and yet most Christians don't quite know what to do with his number one topic. Right, right. I mean, he's got all these metaphors. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a lost... Like, I mean, there's so many... The parables around it, everything. Yes, it's his number one topic. So um, just by way of a definition, if you just go to the raw definition of the Greek and Hebrew words, which for the listening audience are the original languages of our Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, then the English word kingdom is probably not the best word mm. to define those or the words in the original. Because as you said, kingdom connotes something different than those words had. Those words had to do more with what a king does. And so as king of the universe, what does God do? Mm-hmm. Well, what he does is he intervenes into human situations and lives to bring his perspective versus the perspective that we live in as living on a fallen planet. 
So I've learned that a better definition is the rulership of God, or you could even say the power of God Mm. and what it's like. Now, what's it like? Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know we live in a fallen world that are characterized by ugly forces. And now we're still living in the in the midst of a global pandemic where it was just in the face of the entire human race right the same the same disease and so we have forces and dynamics and what people have to realize i know this is a hard concept for many to grasp but all of those dynamics are contrary to everything god stands for mm. so you've got hate when he stands for love. You've got disease when he stands for health. You've got strife when he stands for unity. You've got injustice when he stands for justice. Now, because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross, he's made a provision for God's kingly rulership to come in and address those things. Mm. Now, what a lot of people fail, in my opinion, to understand or would hope for is that he would eradicate those things versus touch them and transform them in the lives of individual people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The whole question of, you know, why isn't he eradicating them? Why does he allow them? That, that's, a, that's Christianity 501 kind of thing. <laughs> All I'm going to say sure. is he's not. He's not eradicating them yet. He will in the future yeah. uh, when Christ comes back. But he's penetrating them. So I can have a marriage that's in trouble. It doesn't reflect what God wants. His rulership, his reign, his kingdom can enter that marriage and transform it. Mm. It can change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, an addict can have the power of God help them through addiction. Mm-hmm. Injustice can become justice. Mm-hmm. Now, the million-dollar question on people's minds is, okay, I can, I can accept, Pastor Gary, that he's not going to eradicate it. I don't like it. But to what degree will he transform it? Right. Okay. Because not every marriage that even submits itself to God's kingdom survives. Mm -hmm. Not every addict gets freedom. Mm -hmm. Not every Christian who prays for God's kingdom to heal them from cancer survives. Mm -hmm. So it comes for in these flashes. You know, it, it it comes, but it doesn't come in a consummate way to eradicate everything. Mm-hmm. And I just have to live with that. Yeah. I have to live with that, Jordan. Yeah. And I have to realize that if injustice prevails, if hunger prevails, if anything that's contrary to the nature of God prevails, it doesn't mean he likes those things. Mm-hmm. He hates those things. Mm-hmm. 
But the way that he's chosen to work with the human race is not to do away with all of that until Jesus Christ comes, and then we're in an entirely different existence yeah. where there's no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no injustice, yeah. whatever. So theologians say, yes, his kingdom, his rulership, his power, they're available now. They can touch me. They touched me, and I got born again or in a relationship with Jesus Christ. They touched me. I got walked out of anger. Mm-hmm. Okay? They, they touched me when I was really sick, and I got well. Mm-hmm. So it's here. But it's not here in perfection. So theologians have coined this term already, not yet. Mm -hmm. And do I like to live with that tension? Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. I wish it was all already, quite frankly, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. And I have to accept the providence of God um, when it doesn't come quite as powerfully as I might want it to. Mm -hmm. But this is what I hang on to, Jordan. Even if it doesn't come as powerfully in a situation as I wish it would now, it has nothing to do with what of his love for me or what he would like mm. to see done in that situation ultimately. Yeah. I just lost a 58-year-old dear friend to COVID, mm. 40 days on a ventilator. Mm. His family was not able to see him for 40 days and he died alone with his family outside the intensive care unit. Horrific. Mm. I mean, it just makes your head spin. Mm -hmm. Where was the kingdom? It wasn't there in its perfected form to heal Marco. But that doesn't mean I don't continue to pray for the kingdom to come in situations. If we're knocked down, we're not knocked out. Mm -hmm. And you just got to wrap your brain around that. But this I know, God's ultimate will is the eradication of all those diseases. And we're going to be there someday when Jesus comes back. So I don't know if that helps you, but that's how I have to live with it. You you said this something to the degree of, I may not like it, but that's how it is. You know, and I think that's something that's really hard for us to come to grips with things that we have to accept um, even in God's character, that we go, man, that's not how I would do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that he's not still God. Or and, and I love that perspective that even in the pain, even in the tor- turmoil, it's not evidence of his limited power, or it's not evidence of his unwillingness, or not evidence of him being okay with it. He still hates those things. And so we can still believe in his good character even in the midst of... Exactly. And two things I hang on to. At the end of the day, what... I'm going to paraphrase here. But at the end of the day, what did God say to Job? Everybody knows Job. What he basically said is, Job, I operate in ways that you cannot wrap your brain around. I'm not... (laughs) Don't even try. Right, right. Okay? I don't like that. No, it's uncomfortable. But I have to embrace that. Mm -hmm. And then there's a scripture in Romans, I believe it's 10, where the Apostle Paul says, what if God? Mm -hmm. And then he goes, da-da, da-da, 
the dot. And what he's saying is, what if God decides to do something or not do something differently than you? Mm -hmm. Are you going to let him be God? Right. Oh, Jordan, do you know what? I like to be God Mm -hmm. (laughs) at times. Oh, yeah. Or I like to tell him what to do, as awful as that could sound. Yeah. But that will not get us anywhere. No. No, I even was was sitting this morning and just processing a little bit this last week that I've had, and I just kind of came to this realization of, oh, I'm trying to control everything again. Yeah. I'm trying to make things look the way I think they should look. I'm trying to fix the things to be the way that they need to be fixed. And mm-hmm. I had fallen again into this pattern of, oh, I'm trying to be God. I'm trying to carry these burdens. Exactly. And of course, we've got, we're given a certain amount of spiritual authority. We can pray. We can rebuke the devil. Um, we can do all of those things, and, and we must. Yep. But at the end of the day, the, we can never see those things as an endeavor to manipulate or control right. the ultimate outcome. Yeah. Of his sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, Gary, I want to wrap up with with uh, with one final question. This one's mm-hmm. a little bit more personal, and it kind of tails on to even what we're just talking about, some couple of things that you've held on to over the years. Mm-hmm. What are some spiritual disciplines and practices you've been, especially, I mean, you, you taught 45 years following mm-hmm. Jesus, is that what you said, 48? Uh, uh, so... I've been almost, uh, yeah, 48 following him, 45 in quote-unquote vocational ministry. Okay, so that's a long time, mm-hmm. and you're dealing with, you know, in in the role that you have, you see all these challenging topics to address, different ways to interpret things, different arguments. Um, I'm sure you see, as you travel and as you interact, you see different levels of injustice and different levels of pain. You walk through it personally. But you've found over the course of those years ways to stay anchored and rooted to Jesus and continue to pursue him and love him, which that can be hard. That can be hard. Sometimes the further in you get to seeing all the pain and the turmoil and the chaos can make things even harder to follow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for such a long-standing, uh, long-standing direction that you've had, a trajectory, what are some things that you've, that have, that have helped you along the ways? Cause I mean, people who are listening are going to be in so many different places, mm-hmm. but what have you found helpful? What are some things that you go, oh my gosh, over the 45 years, here's some things that were so beneficial and so nurturing for and your, helpful for and, me. Yeah. yeah. Great question. So, um, the first one that I would say, Jordan is almost sort of like a gift, and I have no re- I have I don't really know why God gave me the gift, but from the very beginning of my salvation, which was as a teenager, with no church background per se, I never doubted that the Bible was God's word. Mm. I, that To me, that's a gift. Mm-hmm. Now, as things have gone along, I've had a gazillion questions regarding certain passages of Scripture, but I've never doubted that it was God's Word. And so consequently, I have given myself to 
deeply studying it, not just superficially reading it. I, I understand devotions. I understand journaling. I'm all for that. But taking a deep dive into it to gain understanding that can help stabilize me. Things like I said about Job, right. things like I said about Paul's what if, right. um, things I said about the kingdom of God. So that, I think, has stabilized me. I've been able to cling to something substantive, not just to use Paul's terms, not just milk, mm-hmm. because clinging to milk, you're probably not going right. to have much traction. Right. So that's been an anchor. So I, I will look at these things, and then I will do my best to run through my brain, okay, what's the scriptural perspective on what I'm seeing here, mm-hmm. on what I'm going through, what's, being, what's just hit me like a baseball bat in the stomach, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. That's how I think, and, yeah. I, and I'm appreciative that I've been gifted to do that. Yeah. The other is I learned to worship outside of church services. Mm. Uh, for 15 years straight, I spent nearly an hour, five days a week, at the piano, worshiping God and filling my spirit with song and praise from the piano. Mm. I don't play the piano and worship at the piano much anymore, but I do it uh, <laughs> with my iPhone in private. Great. Why not? Yeah. You know, I've got a lot of songs downloaded, yeah. and I will sing to them. Mm. And because the singing aspect of worship, mm. even though it's only an aspect of worship, right. is uh, hugely important to me and yeah. fills my tank. Mm. And then a third one is I really have learned the value of deep connections with two or three brothers who help sharpen me and I help sharpen them Mm. and can say to me, "Mm, Matt Storff, I'm having a really hard time right now thinking of a chapter and verse that backs what I see you doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. So that deep seat, seated word, that worship in song, and then those accountable relationships, I think have anchored me. Yeah. I love that. That's really neat. I I, I always forget you have such a strong musical background, but that's such a such a cool <clears throat> thing. And and for for me coming from that musical part, yeah, it's it's amazing what. I was just having a conversation with with a friend and family member, and we just were talking about the power of of what true song worship can do. Like when the lyrics can remind you. I mean, yeah. even just in that that conversation of "I want to be God," mm-hmm. when we when we sing about who God is, when we allow music to stir us, it's an aspect of worship. Mm-hmm. But that aspect always helps me remember in a healthy way who God is and who I am not. Mm-hmm. And to remember, oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah. that's who you are, and 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 helps me refocus and reorient. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really neat, Gary. This has been a pleasure and honor, oh, and I'm wow. so grateful for your time. You're my pleasure. Hope that I've served you and your audience well. But thank you yeah. just for the opportunity. Thanks so much, Gary. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like this episode, would you share it with someone? We'd also love to hear from you. I read all the emails that come in and respond to them myself. You can reach us at podcast at faithchapel.cc. Looking forward to hearing from you.